Welcome to the Global Careers Podcast, sponsored by GW Cyber, the source for inspiring stories from seasoned professionals who have embraced a global role and reaped the benefits. We offer practical advice and insider tips across a broad swath of industries and fields around the world. You know, whether or not you've considered moving abroad or taking on an international role, globalization will impact your career. So join us for a lively discussion as we explore what an international career really means. My name is Stacey nevadomsky Burdan, and I'll be your host. In season six, we focus on the challenges and opportunities in global careers in marketing, communications, and brand management. What are the rising trends and skills employers in the field are seeking in new hires? Join us as we hear from award-winning international marketing professionals as they share their stories working on some of the most iconic brands around the world. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Jessica Deckinger, an outstanding international marketing professional who has held leadership positions with many global brands, including Vention, Everbridge, Humana, Wolverine Worldwide, Promotion in Motion, and Avon. Her current role is founder and president at Mint Marketing Group, where she serves as a fractional CMO for selective clients. Jessica was a member of the executive team of two startups with successful exits, MCX and Adeo. And in the earlier years of her career, she also held finance and operation roles at J.P. Morgan and the National Football League. In addition to her full-time roles, Jessica has been an active partner in her husband's entrepreneurial businesses for over two decades, as well as a mentor for more than 10 years to U.S. veterans through American corporate partners. Welcome, Jessica. It's great to have you with us today. Thank you so much, Stacey. I'm so happy to be with you. Yeah. So you have had an amazing, stellar marketing career so far. Can you just tell us about it, share some highlights for listeners? Of course. Uh, thank you so much for having me as a guest. And um, I think, you know, two of my favorite global experiences were actually very different from each other. The first I, I think that is very memorable for me was my first marketing role out of business school in a business to consumer brand, Avon Products, which is a beauty company, global beauty company. And just an incredible opportunity to be as a brand manager, learn both the table stakes of what, what marketing in a global environment is like. And also uh, Avon back then, if anyone is familiar with the old Avon world, it was basically, and still is, a uh, business that runs B to B to C. So it's a company that builds products, sells them to representatives, and the representatives sell them directly to consumers. So I got kind of my first taste of B to B and B to C and really just got to explore what a global career would be like. Um, and then much later in my career, a second uh, experience that I think was equally interesting for different reasons was my first fully B to B SaaS software as a service marketing CMO role with Everbridge. Um, it was a C chief communications officer. And then later I took on the CMO uh, functionality in my role there. And um, that was really an opportunity to build global platforms, a global department, and um, kind of see what it was like to have teams all over the world. Um, and, you know, it was just a phenomenal place to kind of get a chance to do so many new things so late in my career. And that was uh, just an exceptional experience for me personally and professionally. That is so cool. You know, it's interesting. So many marketing professionals move up through marketing and then to uh, maybe CCO, CMO, and then oftentimes COO or um, CEO these days too, isn't it? It's kind of interesting to see that many marketing professionals become the heads of companies. Are you seeing that? I am. And you know, what's interesting is that marketing is one of those great I think prolific kind of 
career fields where you can do many, many different things. And that's the reason why you see so many people in CMO or CCO or kind of name them, those marketing roles um, can take on executive leadership roles in a variety of areas because you get to, in a way, dabble in so many different kinds of functional skills over the course of a marketing career. And every marketing role means a different thing, which is what's interesting also. So you could be a CMO at one software company or a CMO at a different software company, and the scope of your role could be drastically different. And so the nice thing is that any marketing career in a way is a bit nonlinear and so gives you gifts along the way of new skills, new exposure to different kinds of opportunities and can cultivate you into a leader who can then do many, many different things, which is why I think we're seeing that trend. Yeah, so neat. And of course, as you have, uh, moving uh, among different companies and within different industries also makes it interesting, kind of fast-paced, never a dull day, I assume, in your career over the past uh, uh, couple of years. Yeah, well, you're being very generous past couple of decades, more accurate, <laughs> but um, it, is, um, it is an amazing uh, thing to have a nonlinear decision-making process, even as you have those marketing opportunities to grow. Because I think, frankly, building a career that has lots of different skill sets is now more than ever a benefit to any global company, because you're talking about kind of ha- bringing in aspects of knowledge across such a diverse base if you've had lots of different experiences that you can bring in there's there's not like kind of a linear path i think like there used to be thinking that like business to business marketing is just one thing and business to consumer is one thing and verticals don't overlap right i i really firmly believe i call it business to human every marketing opportunity is a business selling to a human being and every vertical shares both the interest in disruption and the interest in creative thinking that every other vertical shares and so when you bring in fresh perspective from lots of different kinds of jobs and experiences and different functionality i think you add value in any field and i think that seems to have been shared by many people that i've come across the old world where you kind of had to major in one thing for your whole career you know, businesses are realizing that in a global environment, it's changing so rapidly. You just can't afford to have leaders who don't understand how to build new innovative thinking and approach things in new ways and, you know, learn. And so um, it's really opened the door for like my career, having this opportunity to change between verticals, industries, types of roles. And I think now for the next generation coming up, it's an even bigger opportunity. And that's so exciting because that's kind of the new normal Mm -hmm. is that you won't have a linear one singular path. So I've been grateful for that. And I hope it's an opportunity for many people now as they move into marketing careers. Most certainly. Do you have a tip or two for people? Obviously, careers change, paths change, as you've just described. I think it is it's it is the way it's going to be now, right? It's it's uh, not, the, the nonlinear is the way it is. But what tips or two do you have for listeners? I think being deliberate, I think, and I, what I mean by that is it's very difficult to know what's coming in any job, right? In any role and every role is a component and a bigger part of a larger story or narrative that is your career. And so what I, what I mean is with each step you take, have a reason, have an authentic reason as to why you've decided to make that choice and have a developed, well-developed, cultivated and practiced narrative around that reason. And then when you, when you are choosing to walk away from something, I think like I always say, you should never leave a role 
You should never take a role because you're trying to get out of a role. You should always deliberately exit and enter new things with a reason that's in your heart, authentic to who you are and what you want in your career, whether it's new opportunities, new experiences, new skills, um, new title, whatever the right things are. Know that and just build a narrative throughout your career that allows you to articulate that story to people. And it makes it easier when you do go to your next thing and people ask you, tell me a little bit about yourself and what you've done. It's it becomes a really comfortable, like I said, authentic story about you that becomes your brand story, your professional brand story. And I think that is to me the best advice I could give around changing, making changes in your career to anybody, not just in marketing. I think if you know the why and you can articulate it to other someone else and they can see that as a human being, they get it, your reason why, even if it doesn't resonate with them, they understand it, then it makes it easier for people to connect the dots as to why you're the right person for this new role. And and I think, or whatever the new opportunity is. And I think that's, um, that's been a gift that someone gave me young in my career, early in my career. And now I hope is helpful for others. Yeah, no, that's great. Great tip. Great advice. And, and maybe they don't even have to connect the dots. Maybe you even connected them for them in a way, right? Um, diving into um, some of the specifics regarding marketing. So digital marketing has changed uh, dramatically over the last couple of years. Tech is changing things with AI and geolocation, all those kinds of things with respect to marketing. How do you begin to tackle that on a global scale? I mean, I think there are kind of um, a couple of different things to keep in mind about the way, you know, to absorb and then uh, become empowered by the changes that are happening so rapidly in the digital world. Truthfully, I think having a learner's attitude is and a non-ego driven approach are the two keys to being successful with digital marketing evolution, because it's actually a revolution, like every day there's something new, uh, you know, that's changing the way that we think about how marketing is done, is perceived, is received, is viewed, is engaged with. And that's not just social media. It's kind of all the different AI and machine learning and chat, GPT, like all these kind of new things are like in one day can blow everything up that you knew. And so if you're approaching these things with the learner's attitude with kind of like, I am going to always have my eyes open for what's out there to learn without an ego. So not assuming based on what other people say, or you have preconceived, you know, about digital that, you know, the answer already, but just observing, learning, testing and taking some risk, I think is important. Like when you find a new technology, learning about educating yourself about it, making a decision, whether it's worth, you know, taking an, uh, a calculated risk on trying it out um, in a business line or even just on your own to see what it's all about. Um, I think being that learner's attitude can really provide a lot of value in adapting quickly to what's happening in a world that's moving so fast as a marketer. It's just critical that you, you know, be always always bringing in new information and not, you know, falling into the pattern of like, well, this is comfortable for me, the old way of doing things, because that's how I've always done it. Right. It's just, it, you cannot, I think, thrive as a marketer unless you adapt to new generations and adapt to new technologies. And so I just think those are the two keys, like being non-egocentric and knowing, knowing that you can check your ego at the door. And even if you've been marketing for 30 years, there's probably something coming along that someone else might know better than you. And so what I, I mean by that, even just generationally, oftentimes the smartest person at the table in digital world is not me. 
is not even someone more senior than me. Sometimes it's someone 20 years younger than me who just really gets it and understands it because to them, they're native much more in the new, new thing. Even someone five years older than them may not be. And so like being able to check your ego and say, hey, you know what? Probably the smartest person on this topic is not me. Let me find the person who is and, and you know, absorb that wealth of information and leverage their knowledge to lift us all up. Um, I think makes you really successful in a changing digital environment. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And speaking of um, ego and blunders and mistakes, you know, there are lots of interesting, I think, marketing kind of mistakes made around the world, specifically cross-culturally, different languages. It's really tricky to market just one product or a brand across various cultures in those different languages. Can you share any mistakes or funny stories, examples uh, that listeners can, can learn from? Oh, definitely. I mean, I have many, many of these. Unfortunately, (laughs) it's um, one of the challenges of real challenges of global marketing is um, that you have to take a localized approach like local meets global because there are cultural differences. There are regional differences within a specific you know, area of the world. There are neighborhood differences. There are generational differences within a cultural um, environment. And so Understanding that complexity requires um, deep listening, empathy, and also an understanding that when you blunder, it's just important to own it and then kind of, you know, own it, recognize it, listen to your customers all the time, tell them you're listening, you heard them when you blundered something, and then move forward. Um, I think an example of this for me that that really kind of uh, rings true, I've, I've told this story before, I think, I think I've actually told you this story before, was um, when I was at Avon, actually in my first role, we had launched a series of fragrances that had uh, coconut, a coconut scent, a coconut note um, in them. And they just really were not performing well in the United Kingdom. And, you know, we couldn't figure out why the, the I put in air quotes, global team, which was very diverse, but based in the U.S., based in New York City, couldn't figure out why they weren't selling. So we actually called the local team and asked in the UK, like what's going on? And they they said, you know, you've priced these like they're in the higher end of the pricing and the kind of like almost in the mastige category, which is a little higher pricing for fragrances. And yet here coconut is in local in UK here is like sunscreen. It's not something you pay aspirationally a lot of money for. It's something you buy in Boots Pharmacy or in the, you know, grocery store, (laughs) Tesco or whatever. And it's not something that you, you know, are going to aspire to wear. It's like vacation. (laughs) It's cheap (laughs) vacation sunscreen. And that was eye-opening because that's not true everywhere in the world. And we had overlooked that and not gone customer first in our approach and so, you know, we couldn't apologize about it, but what we could do is tell the representatives we are, you know, shifting gears and really going to focus on bringing those fragrances down to the value category um, that contain that scent. And then we're going to spend some time listening to you, representatives and local folks selling our fragrances about what is relevant, what is not relevant, you know, what is aspirational in your market so we can understand how when we should be local when we should be global with so that we can create that globalized kind of perspective and it was eye-opening for me because it was early in my marketing career to that i you know you have to be customer first you have to be customer back you cannot be global first it is not especially if your global team is centralized if your global team is dispersed and in local markets it affords more the more the luxury of having local knowledge infuse a global 
group, but if you are literally geolocated all together in one one place, you will develop bias. And that's a that's a hard thing to overcome. And the only way to do that is to listen to your customers. Mm-hmm. Um, How about some of the dynamic tension that occurs? Maybe maybe there, maybe there was, or maybe in another instance, there is a local team on the ground. They're like, uh-uh, this isn't going to work. But the headquarters, maybe the, the global brand managers, like, yes, we know what we're talking about. Have you ever had any of that kind of dynamic tension? And, and, and what kind of advice do you have for dealing with it? I have had that. Partially, it's it's usually, uh, and I don't I don't want to assert that this is like every company, but it usually tends to stem from a operational financials place. Like it's you're working for a corporation, and you know, name any corporation where the goal is to streamline and build efficiency, and localizing doesn't do that, right? So, like operationally, if your manufacturing is local but like in one area, you don't want to spend for like local, 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 name it like in one, in UK, you don't want to have like five factories if you can have one, which creates a centralized approach to both production and marketing in a CPG world. So like if you work for a corporation where they want to centralize everything in a one global place where manufacturing is happening in like one global place and the ideation and the marketing is from one global place, again, it's very hard to like, to argue that you should do something that is less efficient by like, you know, doing the local thing also because it feels like you're dispersing operations. But really, I think the argument has to be made that if you want to succeed in a global world, getting to scale from a end productivity and sales and growth perspective is more important than operational efficiency to the point where you sacrifice that opportunity to grow. And I think that's the argument that has to be made. And sometimes it's hard to make because a financial person might be like, well, I don't want to spend a million dollars on localizing all these products. And you got to say, well, the the one X, you know, you get from the, the little savings you get from cutting that down to like half by putting it in one market, you know, is not as important as the like potential five or 10 X growth you could get by scaling with localization. Like, I think that's the argument that has to be made and there's tons of math to support it in corporate world. But I understand that if you're, you know, if you're in operations, if you're a finance person, if you're in a public company, it can be really hard because you're trying to measure profitability with growth, you know, and balance the two. And that's when I think it has come up for me the most. Um, I don't know that that's true at every company, but for me, it's come up the most when I've been in situations where, like the optics of the balance sheet matter as much as the optics of the growth. And so, you know, that I think the only way to combat it is that we live in a world where the only way there's so much information, people know what they like locally and want to be respected for their personal, you know, environmental cares and wishes and things that are in their, you know, cultural environment. And I think not to honor that is you lose a lot of business because there's so much proliferation of information. Like you can reach everybody, but if you're not actually reaching them with something that's relevant for them, they're going to dismiss it because someone else will reach them first with something relevant to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I know that's a long way to way to say it, but I think it's really, I think it really is a common thing and it's hard to fight, but there is data to support that localization, you know, it enhances growth and ultimately helps the balance sheet. Cause if there's a big top line number that it's easier to manage a margin that, creates profitability is expensive. Great different way to look at it. That's great. Um, what is the biggest effect globalization has had on marketing in the past five years, you think? Honestly, I think it's really created so much opportunity for disruption because the market dynamics of 
where how you grow, where you grow have shifted so rapidly. The opportunity to grow in markets that never seemed like they were opportunities was kind of like, I don't know, opening the aperture for like the sky's the limit because you could find that your thing that you develop scales much more rapidly in a country or a region or whatever it is, part of the world that you never knew was going to be your target audience when you find something that resonates at a local level. And so I think that globalization opportunity has opened the opportunity for companies, you know, that in the old world prior to like digital world felt they couldn't grow outside U.S. boundaries or outside European boundaries or outside Asian boundaries, like now can do that. And that's amazing because it means that you can kind of like the sky's the limit, especially for startups, which I think is just spectacular, like watching the rise of small businesses to big businesses is just, it's so phenomenal. And it means that there are lots of ways to be a marketer and lots more opportunities to, to prove your worth because you don't have to just plug yourself in like a cog in a wheel in a company that has been doing it for 50 years. You can go somewhere that's new and it can become the biggest thing that ever was bigger than some of those, you know, behemoth older companies. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I, I love that. I think that's a, that's a giant win for, for the whole world that global globalness has created opportunity. Mm-hmm. How about it? And does that affect global marketing jobs? Things that uh, some of our listeners should consider when they're pursuing their, their jobs? A hundred percent. I mean, realistically these days, any ro- many roles are already global that maybe weren't in past. Most companies that are not in regulated spaces, if they're not global already, will be soon. Um, And that's amazing. If you're in a regulated space, it makes it tougher because if you're in regulations that are at a federal or a state level and you're in that federal or state, you know, governing body, it makes it harder. If you're in biotech or pharma or, you know, biotech, pharma, same, same, but, um, or, you know, I don't know, Medicare in the U.S. or, you know, name your regulated industry in other countries, I think that makes it tough to be global because you have to navigate. Um, it's not impossible, but it makes it tougher because you have to, you know, abide by whatever the regulatory bodies say. But even those industries have started to, you know, the the biopharma space has started to become much more global, especially during the pandemic. But really like most other companies, they're, they aspire to, if not now, at some point be global because like I said, the sky's the limit now. Um, and because the barriers of old are not ge- you know, geographic anymore, it's not like the edge of your country is the edge of your ability to market now because of the digital environment we live in. So I don't know. I, I think that's an amazing thing for global marketing roles, because I think inevitably we're moving towards a world where every role in some way will be global, even if it doesn't start out that way, we'll end up that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and at the pace at which the startup world has navigated creating global roles and global companies has definitely um, lit a fire for for having those opportunities as, at a faster pace. Mm-hmm. And that that makes me think about ESG, DEI. Those are also because you're talking about regulated industries, but also perception and social causes and and things that matter to consumers as well. How has that affected the marketing industry? And what do what do um you know students, young, early career marketing professionals need to know to stay competitive in this space? I think you know the interesting thing about ESG is that it's a newer construct relative to other kind of thinking about like if you think about regulatory or other constructs, it's not actually fully regulated yet. And so therefore there's not a lot of alignment because we're in kind of like early years of what is 
ESG um, and even DEI. There isn't like one normative established kind of rule set around what that is. And I think that means that it's an incredible space to innovate. Um, And so I think there's opportunity there and making yourself knowledgeable about it. It's almost like kind of reminds me of like organic status for food in the early years of organic status. And even still, like it's not clearly defined exactly how organic status is determined and some in some ways it is in some ways it's not and there are lots of regulatory bodies and lots of people influencing it but if you're in the space of food you got to understand what organic is in different frameworks i think esg is the same if you can start to educate yourself about it it is becoming more and more of a priority and for businesses public and private for many reasons in the u.s sec um, the Securities and Exchange Commission, if you're a public company, they have already announced that they are planning to regulate that companies that are public have an ESG strategy. What that exactly means, I don't know if it's fully been defined yet. Potentially it's being defined as we speak. Um, but I think like just being knowledgeable about what it means is important for another reason, which is that your brand as a company now, it's more important than ever that your brand stands for what your consumers believe in from a positioning standpoint and the next generation, like the generations beyond like millennials and younger environmental awareness, you know, social resilience and sustainability and governance, like how you run your business and what it looks, what it looks like as an operation, those things matter and they're valuable both to consumers and to employees. And so if you have a company and you're not delivering on a brand that authentically delivers some kind of ESG, you know, thinking, plan, execution, whatever it is, I think you're going to lose out on an entire, you know, bucket of incredible talent and potential customers who, you know, are deeply steeped in values that are, you know, very progressive comparatively to those of generations past. And so, you know, that's, it's just smart business as a marketer to be aware of what ESG could mean to your audience and to your potential people you're going to hire and to live those things authentically. And DEI is a critical part of that. And, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion means completely different things than it did, you know, five years ago, 10 years, two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. And one of the big market differences to me is that diversity, equity, inclusion, like kind of used to mean from what I saw really, you know, kind of like demographic markers of diversity. Did you have demographically diverse, you know, people working in your organization? Did you represent that in your brand? Did you see consumers who were demographically diverse? It's not, and thank the, you know, thank the stars. It's not that anymore. It's so much more inclusive and DEI now from businesses in my, in my thinking really has to meet inclusion in all ways, whether it's, you know, kind of psychographics, um, types of ways of working. If you're talking about DEI and employment world, you know, people want to work in different ways. They want to be accommodated with their needs. And I think, and they, by the way, legally have to be accommodated with their needs. And I think that's right. And so being knowledgeable about DEI as a marketer helps you to understand and and be sensitive to and empathetic to the needs of others to accommodate, you know, how, how best you can be in service to the people who work for you and who buy things from you. And, you know, that's a, that's just like ethically, like the right thing to do. And we should have more of it. 
Um, I wish we did have more of it, but I think it's the it's going to be the staple of marketers of the future is people who actually, you know, build a DEI strategy that is led consumer back again and employee back and with empathy, um, I think will be the most successful because people will feel, you know, humans want to connect and feel seen and heard. And if you are empathetic to their unique situations and needs and differences, your business does better. Your customers buy more your people are happier and more productive. And by the way, you get smarter thinking <laughs> because like on, even when you're building a marketing team, one of my favorite things is to hire people who are smarter than me. at stuff that I know nothing about because you just do better when those people are in the room because they make you smarter. And how amazing is that? I don't care if someone's younger than me or older than me or my same age, whatever it is, but people who are smarter than me at other things than I am, whether it's like cultural things or other things, bring differences to the table, make the team better. Like it's just the reality. And so I hope as all marketers, everyone will take that on as their kind of badge of honor, that they have the opportunity to encourage, build up and, you know, grow diversity and inclusion and equity and inclusion in all ways. Yeah, that's great. That's a wonderful forward way, forward thinking um, and how it is going to be completely part and parcel of what marketing is. I love it. That is great. That is great. Jessica, can you share one of the biggest challenges you faced in your career, how you dealt with it? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think I get this question a lot and I'm very frank about it, which I think sometimes may scare people, but the hardest thing for me has been building a family, growing as a professional, growing as a person and working. Like, I think it's just hard. My, I mean, the, the, my parents, and I think a lot of um, kind of one generation before me, the baby boomer generation had this ideal of like, have it all was the ideal, you know, have a home and a family and a career and a whatever. And, you know, do you can have all the things. And my generation, one level younger, you know, I think tried to do that and found out it was really hard um, and watched many people who were in the generation kind of in, in between us, in between our parents and us, try to do it and saw the sacrifices they had to make. And we were like kind of mid-career when that was, they were like making all their sacrifices and that our early career. And that, you know, is a hard thing to figure out. People ask me, how do you do it all? Or like, how do you, ba- how do you find balance? <laughs> and... I think that's been the biggest challenge as a marketer, as a global marketer, particularly for a couple of reasons. One, um, marketing in the roles I've been in, many of them have included functions like PR, investor relations. Um, I don't know. Let me think. Advertising, digital advertising, things that never sleep Mm -hmm. and with teams that are all over the world. And so thinking about managing a global schedule, a global team, you're kind of always on. And how do you do that when you want to, maybe you don't want to have children, maybe you do, maybe you don't want to get married, maybe you do. Well, so I just think, you know, as you bring things into your life, you have to make choices. And that was never part of how the, how, uh, the story I was told about the decisions I would have to make if I wanted to do all the things I wanted to do. And in my case, it included having a partner that I married 
and we committed to each other for many, many years, having, which is hard in itself, having any kind of relationship is always a challenge because you're talking about two humans who are different. And then I wanted to have children. I have three children. Um, I have a home. We have cars. We have, I don't know. We have, you know, we, we made choices to, you know, be in very high powered careers, both of us. Um, and there are just, I think, complexity we have aging parents now you know thinking about like the complexities that happen in life to be honest even if you don't bring choose to bring them in um is something that's hard to plan for and as a marketer if you're like you know on a call you i'm on the east coast and i was you know in some cases i've been on calls with teams in asia pacific and those calls happen at you know 12 o'clock at 11 o'clock at night 12 o'clock at night and then you know my children wake up at 530 to get the bus. So, you know, how do you maintain health and wellness and, you know, balance is like, is a constant challenge. And I mean, frankly, my only answer for it is that you never have everything at once. Um, if you're achievement oriented, which I, I am. And I think, you know, I feel value and, and like almost like a happy joy moment when I achieve something, it's part of my identity. It's fine. It's part of who I am, but also then like you're driven to want to achieve more because it makes you feel good. And that's great. Except that, you know, you can push yourself too hard and every, and if you get like an A minus, it feels like an F and that's a really tough thing to balance when you're trying to like live a healthy, happy lifestyle. And so I think like, you know, for me, that meant that sometimes I've sacrificed in unhealthy ways, my physical health or my emotional health or my family's time or whatever it is for things in my career or the other way around. And so I have this like constant feeling a little bit that I, you know, have failed at something that week. And I think getting to be to the stage of life I'm at now required that like earlier, 10 years ago when I had little kids, I kind of had to let go of some stuff, which is really hard and say, you know, it's okay if I do fail at some things because I can't keep all the things running. I can't keep all the plates spinning at the same, it's not going to happen. Like it's just not happening. Um, and that's a hard truth. And I think that's the biggest challenge for me is that kind of like, you have to just kind of like, meh, okay. So like I missed my kid's winter concert. I'll go to the spring concert or, and I'm not a failure as a mom. Cause I missed that one thing. Like my kids still love me. They're still great. They still feel loved. Um, you know, or like name your multitude of professional things I've had to sacrifice. I can't go to that trade show because it's during, I don't know, vacation week. I should be there for my team. You know, I think like letting go of the guilt is the only way to cope for me. And I think for individuals figuring out what those challenges are early is great. And then how to navigate them. But I think that like having it all is hard. Um, and I don't think you can have it all at the same time. And so therefore like making peace with that is, is hard too. <laughs> yeah. But that's super important. Thank you for sharing that. And, and you're right. I mean, I totally agree with you. I mean, it is hard for achievement oriented because you're, once you're achieving in one thing, you're not necessarily in another and it really is tough to handle, but thanks for sharing that because it's great to know that, um, you're struggling too just like everybody, <laughs> you know, we're, we're all human. Everybody is human. I don't care what anyone posts on their social media. We are all just flawed humans trying to do our best. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in that vein, is there some piece of advice you'd like to go back and give your younger self? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Um, I mean, I could, I could probably, this is going to, could be a long answer, which I will not do to people. Uh, but I think, uh, three quick things. Um, one is, building a balance between being patient and sprinting. 
because careers are a long game. Life is a long game. And I think I was so focused early in my career on like sprinting to the next achievement because it felt so good. I didn't pace myself in some ways. And not that that's a bad thing, but what it did do was create a habit of sprinting. And like they say, you do things one time, it's a practice, two times it's a practice, three times it's a habit or whatever with the habit building. It was like a habit, how to build successful habits. But whatever it was, I built a habit of like high poweredness that was not going to be maintainable for the entirety of my life. And so learning and cultivating um, that balance, like when it's okay to just kind of give yourself a little break and not a break, but a um, patience and just sit in something and when to like, you know, stay up till two in the morning doing it you know, I think that's a really early skill I wish I had taught myself. And the second quick one is really, that was not quick, but I think the second one is um, doing what you're good at feels safe. Um, I think I wish I had taken more risks early um, because I would have accelerated myself by personal growth faster and my professional growth faster in a way. Um, And taking risks are hard. And then I think the third is just to start early with um, seeking out, like I, I learned from someone early in my career that you should find cool people and make yourself invaluable to them. And that doesn't mean like sending them articles. It means like be a human being that is a good listener in their lives or in whatever capacity they want you invited into their lives. And I wish I had started that when I was like really young, because I think you, I learn more from humans. Like I love saying I'm an anthropologist. Like I learn more from human beings that are different than me than I do from my own introspection. Like I'm, that's just my way of learning. And I wish I had started at like, I don't know, as a young kid, like just absorbing things from smarter, cooler people around me. Um, now I try to all the time, but I think, you know, that would have been amazing. I can't imagine what I missed out on all those years of like, I really didn't learn that skill until I was in my mid twenties. And I wish I had known, I don't know, when I was like really young, that human beings were going to teach me more than anything else. And that I'd find, you know, those cool humans who just, because they've shaped my life so dramatically since I started really opening up to like finding the cool people around me. And they're not always who you think they are. Like sometimes it's like the person who cleans the offices at the end of the night. It's not always like the aspirational CEO of the company. Um, And sometimes you'll learn more from that human being because they see everything than you will from anyone else. And like, I wish I just, I would love more of those people. I would love to welcome more of those into my life over the years. That's wonderful. Well, um, even if you couldn't give it to your younger self, you can at least um, give it to all of our listeners right now. So that's, uh, that's terrific. So thank you for that. And this has been a wonderful, wonderful uh, uh, session with you, conversation, uh, Jessica. Is there anything before we wrap up, anything else you'd like to add that maybe that I didn't ask you that you want to make sure our listeners hear? Um, I mean, I think I, I guess I just, um, I hope that people on this you know, as they're heading into different career moments, whatever stage of career it is, um, will, especially people who are high achieving, that they will give themselves grace um, and be, and just like have moments of gratitude and self-awareness that allow them to, you know, be patient and forgiving of themselves. Because I think that is probably a gift we should all give ourselves, especially as marketers, because we're front and center in a business. We're the person who creates the opportunities. So it's easy to feel, um, to be hard on yourself, to push really hard, to drive forward. And so I guess my one thing I would just add is I think like, 
you know, that gratitude for how amazing, you know, anyone listening to this is in their own unique way and their diverse way and self-awareness and, you know, forgiveness. Those are my big, biggest life lessons I would love to pass on for anybody listening to this, that, that I'm, I'm trying to embrace myself still to this day. That's great. And, and to the point you made just a little while ago, you know, you're human, we're human and humans are the most interesting part. So be kind to your own human self, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's been wonderful. Wonderful, Jessica. You're you are a font of information, knowledge, energy, and it's always a pleasure to talk with you. So thank you so much for taking the time because I know you're super busy these days. So I really appreciate it. Thank you, Stacey. I really appreciate it. It was so much fun. Great. Take care. You have been listening to the GW Cyber Global Careers Podcast. Join us again next time. And in the meantime, go global. <laughs>